Today's content can be somewhat triggering. So listener discretion advice. Welcome to another episode of Four Sisters and a Brother. I'm your host today, Jocelyn, and we're going to be having a discussion about something that's been on my mind for quite some time. It's called cults. Cults, not the Indianapolis cults. I'm talking about cults, C-U-L-T-S, cults. Um, This topic came up in a couple of other podcasts, and I really want to get it out there so that we can do an episode on it so that we can get our own viewpoints about it. And I know it can be a sensitive topic for some, but I felt it uh, could be elaborated on. We can get our different viewpoints about it. And then ultimately, I'll end with my thoughts. Um, So we're going to jump in and get started. So uh, I had to write down a couple of things that I thought were important elements of a cult because I I want us uh, to have a nice, real, well-rounded discussion about this. So the first thing is, there's three things that I think that causes you to be in a cult. Now, the question is like, am I in a cult? Well, maybe if you look at your, your situation and the viewpoint of these three things, maybe you'll find out. So the first thing is isolation. It seems as if whenever you are in a cult, it requires some sort of isolation away from friends, family, or anyone who may have an opinion that's different than your own or different than the cult's uh, opinion. The second thing is a kind of a removal of that, of identity, removing and stripping away of self, of some sort of things that would make you, you. Um, You no longer can operate in your gifts or your talents. You're all meld as one. And the third thing is some sort of, and I know this is this is controversial, but I'll throw it out there, that a lot of these cults sometimes have a, some sort of sexual component <laughs> tied to it in some sort of way, shape, or form, whether it's between adults or sometimes, unfortunately, children. But there are things that, that are happening sexually that are kind of strange or outside of the will of God. So those are my three things, and I'm sure there's a couple other things that kind of um, kind of define what a cult is, but I want to give it up and, and turn it over to the rest of the group. Um, what elements do you have that you believe makes a cult? Well, I think first you have to actually define what a cult is. And you talked about the three things that, you know, let's are maybe signifiers that people are in a cult, but kind of defining what it is, because I had to, I looked it up so to make sure I understood the actual definition is a relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. So when you look at that and you think about that definition and you think about what has been called a cult before, I know I was watching here on a Paramount not too long ago, Waco, and it was like this whole documentary about um, David Koresh and that particular cult, that small element of people who started off somewhat grounded in biblical truths and they just took a total left. And now they're in this compound and it's all kinds of other stuff happening in there. So I think we have to define what a cult is, maybe give some examples of other things um, because as you read this definition and think about it, man, are, are some religions cults, what we call denominations, could that fall into that particular category too? So um I think you have to kind of think about what cults are. But also one element that I think 
is part of a cult. If you if you watch the documentaries and you just see the different groups, they usually have a leader that's really charismatic that um, I, I haven't seen very many women leaders. They're usually male leaders that in the cults, they say they're the only one that can hear from the higher being or from God, um, or they put them they put themselves like their God. And those people within that group usually have to go to them to hear from God. They have to go to them to, for them to um, give them wisdom. So it's, I feel like one major element is always one charismatic leader driving this whole group. I think the first thing that came to mind is a matter of choice. So like you talked about like certain religions, I was looking at one documentary on Netflix and these people didn't, they didn't have a choice. They were born into it. Is this is what you do. Someone has to do something um, and you don't have a choice. So with religion, I feel like at least you do have a choice, right? You, you can choose. No one's forcing you to go to church. No one's forcing you to read the Bible. No one's forcing you to pray. No one's forcing you to do any of that stuff. But in a lot of cults, they force you to do things, whether you want to or not. Like in the documentary I was watching, this girl didn't want to be there. So she ran away. She, she left. And they literally sent somebody to come back and get her. Like, you have to be here. Um, so I think that's one. That's the one element that I thought of. Um, you was talking about cults. I think you're digging deep into, um, you said choice. And you think about in the very beginning when God created the heavens and the earth and he, and he created Adam and Eve. And a lot of people say, oh my gosh, why did he put the tree there? Especially since he knew that they were going to eat from it. But one of the things that God gives us is choice. And when you remove somebody's ability to choice, it is actually a or choose it's actually a form of witchcraft. That's manipulation, that's control. And so you're right, in a lot of these cults, the element to choose, which is God-given, is then stripped away from that person. But I think sometimes we think of cults to the extreme, like the ones that we have seen um, that make national news that are out there in the front. But there are many cults within certain organizations and I, I was thinking of even this definition of, of what a cult is and the ability to choose and leadership like Tiffany said that makes you completely and totally dependent upon them one of the things I like about our family is the very first scripture that y'all know daddy taught us was for as many as are led by the spirit they are the sons of God and what makes us do to be spirit led. Please. Now, I think that there are even within church denominations who have slipped into not a complete cult, but factors of cultism. Because, and think about it, how we've grown up, how some churches, their pastor has become the godlike figure in the pulpit. We don't consult God about things, but pastor said we can't. Pastor said don't. Pastor said, yes. Pa okay, isn't that, if, 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 if what Tiffany said is true, there's a person in leadership who has made themselves the object for which you go to, then does that not qualify under parts of a cult? 
I mean, look at the choice. You can't go here. You can't go there. You can't wear this. You can't wear that. You can't do this or you can't do that. Choice is then being stripped. So I think sometimes when we think about cults, they go to the extreme. We go to the extreme and we think about places like Waco, Texas, or things that happened um, in the past, but there are elements of cultish behavior. And where does that come from? The root of it is a religious spirit. It's it's not being led by the spirit of God. It's being led by what I think and then getting other people to join your bandwagon. You know, Leah, I I think you're getting into my second question. Uh, And so before we leave that, did anyone have anything Thing else to add about your elements of a cult? Well, um, when you was talking about the uh, the choice in church versus a cult and all, uh, even if the pastor is the one setting the rules for the church or not, you still have a choice if you want to follow them or not. You have a choice if you want to leave. If you leave the church and all, there's nobody, there's no usher running to go get you to bring you back to the church and all. So it still can be, you know, it, it's up to you if you choose to follow what that pastor says and all if you choose to be under that uh <laughs> under under that uh that that leadership uh because rebuttal rebuttal okay because that is true to an extent but i do know some churches <laughs> that we have fellowship with and been a part of that make you feel as if you have no choice because not only there not only is there the ability your manipulation is there they strip your ability to choose you have a powerful figure they also use fear and intimidation to keep you in that place so if you don't listen to me they might not be running after you physically to bring you back into that church But when they plant it in your brain, if you don't listen to me, if you don't do what I say do, you're going to hell. God is angry at you. God is mad. And so your whole life is going to fall apart because you're not, they're not physically running after you, but they have created a door of fear and intimidation to then pull you back. So say I make the choice to leave. I walk out and go get in a car accident. (gasps) This is God's response. He hates me. He wants me to get on back in that church. And so what do you do? Take your wrecked up car and go right on back to that church or that place because they have an invisible tethered string put in place by the spirit of fear. Now, God says in the word of God that God does not give us a spirit of fear. He gives us love, uh, power, and a sound mind. It also says that it is the goodness of the Lord that brings men into repentance. So even if I'm away from God and not doing what the Bible wants me to do, God is not going to hunt me down and make my life miserable. He's going to be good to me because that is what draws me back to him, not necessarily to the church. So yes, the church can chase you down. They might not physically do it, but they have done it before. Well, then that's when you have a personal relationship with God and all like that. So is that really on the pastor himself and all, or is you is still up to you and all like that? You need to have a personal uh, relationship with God yourself and all in order to um, uh, be discerning to what's really going on or not. 
And uh, so, yes, if you choose. <laughs> <laughs> and that is true. You should have a personal relationship. But a, a lot of churches that are really strong in that don't teach you how to have a relationship with God. They teach you how to depend on the pastor. And what do we always say or what do we learn even from our own history? Slavery is easier, not necessarily better, but easier than handling freedom. When you are incarcerated, you ain't got to worry about what you're going to eat. They're going to bring you a meal every single day. You don't have to worry about what you're going to put on your back. The state's going to issue you some clothes. You don't have to worry about this or that because it's all done for you. You ain't got to, there's no choosing, no, no ability to make decisions on your own. But when you are given freedom, that comes with that comes responsibility. And with that comes the potential to make mistakes. A lot of these places, cults, churches, pastors, whatever, don't teach you how to have a relationship with God. So we tell you, your dress has to be below your knees and the sleeve must be no more than two inches above your wrist. We give you every detail of what it is we think ought to be happening in your life in order for you to stay in, 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 in God's graces or stay within good confines of what we are doing. And so it's much easier to be in bondage than it is to be in freedom. It's easier for me to give you a list of rules and you follow them than for me to teach you how to hear God so that when you get up in the morning and you put on that dress or you put on that outfit, the Holy Spirit says not for you and not today. You can respond in the right direction. We don't teach people how to do that. For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. And we haven't taught people how to be led by the Spirit. We've taught them how to be led by their leadership. Dang. Well, well, to piggyback off of that, I kind of feel like it's easy to look at the church and look at its flaws. And I'm not going to defend what's happened in the past or how churches are operating today. But I will say this, that in some ways and in some places, uh, let me preface that by saying that, that it was the intent Sometimes they just want to keep you away from sin. And this is all they knew. They were like, look, you can't go here, go here, go here, because all these places make you vulnerable to fall. And so we're going to make sure that we um, put you in the best position to succeed and don't get entangled in some sort of sin. And I think what you're saying is, is that on steroids in so many words, like it's uh, we take we have taken that to the new extreme by just controlling everything that you do. But I think. In how it was laid out originally was like, listen, don't go to the club because what happens at the club? Don't go to the movies because of what happens at the movies. Don't go here or there or look seductive anyway because we know what the result may be. So sometimes I feel like what separated a cult from the church was just simply the intent. The intent wasn't necessarily to control you. It was to preserve you, so to speak. True, true. Intent is perfect. I mean, you know, I, I never thought about it that way. So I, I will bow to that, that train of thought. Intent has a lot to do. I mean, and, and you know what, that's, that's true. If you're on case, if you're on trial in, in court somewhere, they're trying to determine your intent. Like, was this intentional? Or was this something that just happened? Um, so intent is, is important. 
I think that's kind of like a lot of cults, though. So if you think about it, some cults started with good intent, but it just turned into something horrific. Money got involved, fame got involved, whatever. And I think that happens in the church, too. It it started off as, well, we just going to have, you know, something for the for every day for a service every day or something just to keep your souls fed and to do this oh, well, we started benefiting from the offering that we started getting. So then next thing you know, like eventually the intent kind of flew out the window and then it was like, well, this is what we need to do to keep this going. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I also think that sometimes intent is just taught. You don't know why you're doing this. You just do it because that's what you were taught to do. And now you don't even remember what the biblical balance or basis was we're just doing this because, you know, the last generation did this or this church did that. And so we're just continuing on in this tradition, which leads to having a tradition, which is almost a whole nother episode. But OK, well, let's let me go to my third question. My third question was, why do you think these cults or Christian cults? are so attracted to the Bible. Why is the Bible always seem to be, be pulled into certain cults, uh, especially the ones that you cannot trace back to a denomination? It's just some people on a hillside that got together, decided they were going to be in a cult together. Um, why is the Bible such an attractive thing? Uh, I got one. Go ahead. Uh, so um, I was kind of looking into that and I think the Bible is a symbol of truth and people who don't know how to rightly divide the word would fall for something that sounds good. Second uh, Timothy four, three, four uh, talks about for um, the time will come when they will endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And that's just something that they kind of want to hear and all like that. They're saying something that they kind of uh, agree with in a, in a sense. And uh, and they're using the Bible because people know the Bible is being truth and all like that. So if somebody's saying something Bible is in truth and all, then that's a way to kind of rope people in. Because, uh, you know, in the last days, a lot of people will be deceived. And it's just another tactic to being deceived and all. So you get somebody coming in like, hey. We're, we're saying something out of the Bible. Like, uh, no, Leah mentioned David Koresh earlier. He knew a lot of Bible. He knew a lot of Bible, but and then he took the Bible and distorted it. He took things from it and added things to it and all like that that wasn't biblically based and all. But for people who don't know that much about the Bible, they're just willing to, like, listen to him because he's, again, like Tiffany said, he's a uh, charismatic uh, individual. When you first asked that, um, the first thing that came to mind was that Satan wants to use people to distort um, the Bible and to uh, kind of try to destroy the kingdom of God. Because um, we all know, like, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, right? We're fighting against a whole lot of other things in the unseen world. So um, a lot of us see it as cults and this person did this and this person did that. But in reality, it's just Satan, like using that person to destroy, try to destroy the kingdom of God, which you can't do, but try to destroy the kingdom of God and distort the Bible. Um, so people will be like, oh, you got your your religious based person cult. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. We kind of throw you all into the same boat together. Yeah. So 
say that you are a believer in Christ, they're like, oh, yeah, like the cults. <laughs> yeah. Also, I, I think that um, I think it's attractive because the Bible is a powerful tool. It's powerful. Um, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, but it depends on who's welding that sword, right? And so if you think of it, the power, the Bible has the power to sway people and it speaks to a lot of their problems and their issues and their situations. And so I can use this to control people. And I think some people look at it and they say, hey, you know, this is a tool that can be used to control people, not a tool that can be used to free them. And so it kind of depends on who's actually welding that word, because if the Bible is a sword, then it cuts both ways. That means it can cut you right or cut you wrong. It just depends on who has the sword in their hand. And I think sometimes the person who has a sword in their hands, if their intent is terrible, they're going to use that thing to tear you to bits. And they keep you in a places of fear like Leah was talking about. You can use the Bible for a lot of different things. It could be used to manipulate a lot of people. And so I feel like it's an attractive thing because it's so powerful because it is the truth of God. And people are still looking for God regardless of what they say. They're looking for some sort of truth somewhere. And they're looking to kind of cling on to anything that someone says. So if you get yourself a charismatic leader, like Tiffany said, he got a sword in his hand and he has some sort of ill intent, he can hurt you. I agree. I was thinking that um, people, well, I've never been in a cult. I don't think so. Um, But people who are looking, people are always looking for something, looking to fill that void, and they don't know what it is. So sometimes things that sound good as as like cult leaders in the ideology behind some cults sound good, and that's what they fall for. And I think that is, I agree, that's, that's, some of the reason why they do use the Bible, um, because the Bible is is the lasting word from however long it's been in existence. That's one um, book that everybody knows about. Um, that's one book that when people read can bring hope to people. Um, and I feel like when they use the Bible to do that, they're preying on those people that are looking for something and they're trying to fill that void instead of allowing God to fill that void. Um, they're the person that you have to come to. And the scripture popped to mind, Isaiah 5, 20 through 22, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valid, uh, valiant for mixing intoxicating drinks. But I just look at that scripture and I'm just like, they will turn something good as the Bible for evil, um, whether it's for their own glory or whether they think that they're actually doing the work of the Lord. Um, I remember watching the documentary with Jim Jones and actually before mental health was a big thing, he had mental issues. And I, I, I believe that he started out wanting to do a good work. But you start, I don't know, somewhere along the line, those mental health issues started to make it real. Um, and I think that he 
eventually it was just like it started out something good but then it just eternally like the satan was able to enter in through whatever like through his mental health through his help through his mental issues and for someone to actually follow a leader to death like drink the purple kool-aid until they die that that says that people are really searching for something and if they're not careful then they'll fall for anything mm-hmm. not true truth does anyone have anything else to add about cults so I want I know when this when this podcast hits the airwaves, people are going to say, well, you know, how come the church, how come you're not classifying the church as as a cult? And I think we've kind of touched on it before. And I know I've been the most vocal that some churches can turn into cults. But the true church of God, the true church of God, the true body of Christ is not a cult. Number one, Corinthians tells us how the body of Christ is supposed to operate and we're all interdependent on one another. So that takes away the factor of the one person who hears from God. That was the main thing that Jesus did on the cross was rip the veil so that anybody who wants to talk to him can talk to him. There's no longer just one high priest. There's no longer just uh, just one person who gets to go in and have an audience with God. And so I think that's what makes the church different is because even if you're sitting there and you might be under a pastor who is controlling, you still have the ability to seek God for yourself. And so as we kind of maybe wrap up this, um, this particular episode, I feel burdened to actually pray because I do know that this is the last day. I do know that Jesus is soon to return. I do know, like Tiffany said, people have a void that they want to be filled. It's a God-sized void and um, and it can only be filled by God. And so we're going to pray even when we leave, before we leave this podcast today, that if somebody has run across this or is in that place where they are seeking for that void to be filled, that God would direct them to the right people, the right places, and that they would not end up in a place where they're drinking the Kool-Aid or putting on purple shrouds and, and dope man Nikes and leaving here waiting on Haley's Comet. And so we want to pray for them because we know God wants them just as more than they even want him. So if that's what, if, if, if we're wrapping up, you don't mind, could I just pray for people? I actually had a second part uh, a little bit more. Okay. We can, we can, <laughs> All right. we can, <laughs> we absolutely can. It's never out of order. Um, but yeah, I want to give a sort of my final thoughts about it because this was a topic that I kind of uh, spearheaded and researched and looked into. And it, it interests me because part of it is that I feel like, you know, when we look at the church and we look at it in Acts and in Corinthians and, and how the church was being formulated in the beginning, it was being formulated in the beginning. And you could see people who were leaving their their possessions and kind of coming together to learn of the Lord and learn of this, this new, uh, I would say fairly new religion, if you want to say it that way, um, thing. And they were kind of indulging themselves in the Lord um, as, as one and in unity. And I think that was a beautiful thing. And it was a representation of how God would like the church to be. But for everything that God puts together, 
And for everything that he has a heart to do, there is a counter from the devil that's perverted. He would take something that's so beautiful and then pervert it. That's just what he does. And so I feel like a cult is that thing. And, I, you know, Leah, you said one of the foundations of it is a spirit of religion. But can I add another one? I feel like it's pride. Mm. Pride is another a building block of, of a cult because God loves the church. He loves the church. And so the devil being the opposite of God, he takes the thing that God hates. Proverbs 8 and 13 says to fear the Lord and to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance. And so he took the thing that, 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 uh, that God hates the most and dropped it down into the thing that God loves the most. And if you have a leader who has pride in their heart, you already had the makings of a cult. Whether you know it or not, he hadn't had, he doesn't have, he or she, for that matter, does not have to have done anything else. But if they have pride in their heart, you have the makings of a cult. Uh, you have the ingredients already there because pride is hard to be brought low. And it does not take correction well. And this reminds me of something that I watched on TV. It was about the cult. His name was John Humphrey Noyes. Um, if you know anything about it, he founded the um, Oneida a community. And Oneida actually makes silverware. The, these people make silverware and they still do. That Not the cult anymore. They're no longer a cult. But the company still exists and they make silverware. Um, but... Basically, he used to be a guy who, who was converted during the 19th century in the Great Awakening. And he went to school at Yale and he was uh, formally trained. He was going to be a, a pastor. He wanted to be a pastor. And so uh, he got kicked out of Yale because he decided one day that he didn't need to ask for forgiveness. He was already perfect. Now, come on now. And when his professors brought it to his attention and they showed him scripture, they said, that's not right. He said, oh, no, I know I'm right. And so pride jumped up and it would not be corrected. And the next thing you know, he's on a hilltop with a whole bunch of people and they falling over all, all over themselves in some crazy cult. What was the start? Pride. I don't want to be corrected. I don't want to bow to what God says or what you say for that matter. And it doesn't matter if God sent you. I know what I'm talking about. So he hates pride. And I feel like uh, anytime um, the devil wants to pervert something that God created, he takes something like pride and mixes it into the middle of it. So you already have the makings of a, of a cult. I think that's all I have on cults. Does anyone have anything else to add before we pray? Leah? You Lord like Jesus, we just thank you for this time together. We thank you for um, your word and who you are and your great love for people. And Lord, we just pray right now that if someone is there that is searching for a void to be filled, for a need to be met, that you would meet them at their point of need. You're the God that knows everything. You know everything about them because you created them. So God, we just pray that you would direct their path to the right people in the right places who will minister the word of God to them for healing, for comfort, and for peace. We give you praise and we thank you in advance that you've already done the work in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.